0: So, let's go ahead and let's get started today. So, the passage of Scripture that we're looking at today is verse 21 through 28. And the main idea that I want to bring across to you today in this message is the understanding that Jesus' teaching and power, His teaching and power gives a picture of His kingdom and, And it shows that he is or has absolute authority over all creation. And so what I want us to understand today through this study is that he should have absolute authority over our lives. And as I was beginning to prepare for this message, I began to think about uh, the way people live in our culture today. You know, I began to think about what kind of things hold authority in different people's lives. Okay, so what I realized is that for some people, it's reason. All right. In other words, uh, they live the way they live because of the way they think. Okay, so uh, it, it's very cerebral, okay? The things they do, the things that they uh, are a part of, uh, the things uh, that they believe, it's very logical, it's very cerebral. And when I say word cerebral, it's not that thing that's in the X-Men, not cerebro, uh, but it's, it's very, it's very uh, mental-driven, okay? And so a lot of people today uh, find their authority in reason, alright, some people find their authority in experience, alright, and what I mean by that is, uh, in other words, people live the way they live because of the way they feel, alright, and so they do the things that they do, uh, they say the things that they say, they, they are a part of the things that they're a part of because it's how they feel, alright, sorry if I spit on any of you this morning, but it's just, it's, it happens, All right. And still, other people, other people, no comments now. Come on. (laughs) Other people, their authority or the way that they live relies upon tradition. All right. In other words, uh, they live the way they live because. Well, that's just the way they've always done it, you know. They do the things that they do because they, you know, it's 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 the uh, you know the folks that every single Friday they eat at this same restaurant, or they 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 do things because th- their parents did them. They they do things because their grandparents did them that way. I mean, it's it's tradition, and and there's absolutely nothing wrong with tradition. Okay, there's actually a difference. And in, in, in seminary, I studied this one book. Uh, and it talked about the difference between tradition and traditionalism, okay? And in this study that I did, it it came to the realization and it it brought about the fact that tradition is great. In other words, we all should have traditions. We all should have things that are like what I would consider to be anchors, that they should be uh, foundations, things that we can hold on into our lives. But traditionalism... Is when those things control us instead of God's guidance and God's obedience controlling us. In other words, in other words, uh, we do things because that's the way we've always done them. And, and even though we're sitting on this horse and the horse died 10 years ago, we always rode that horse. And it stinks, and it's not going anywhere, but this is the horse we've always rode on, all right? When there's a brand new horse that we could be riding on, okay? None of us ride on horses. I mean, I don't know why I used that illustration, but anyway, it was just, it was there. It was in my brain at the moment, all right? Finally, and this is where I want to get to today in some of this message, finally some people live and they find their authority in what I'm going to call today uh, revelation. All right, And what I mean by that is, in other words, uh, they live the way they live because God is guiding them, because God says what they are to do, because they listen to, to god's authority all right and so that's where i live i live in revelation i hope and so for those of us whose authority is revelation we understand it to take the form of a plan and a person and a written word and a living word all right and so uh Uh, The written word we call the word of God, the Bible, amen. The living word we know as Jesus, okay, one that we love, The other we love and we worship. The written word points us to the living word and that one has the right to demand complete and absolute lordship in our lives. And the plan that we live by is a plan that calls you and I to be disciples of Jesus Christ. In other words, living our lives the way Jesus has modeled and challenged us to live. So the question today that I have as we dive into these verses is, it comes from this passage and it comes from the development of what Mark is saying to us in verses 21 through 28. The question I have is, have you allowed Christ to be the primary authority in your life? Question number one. And the next question that I want to ask us, and we're going to wrestle with that develops this message, is should Jesus have absolute authority in our lives? And all of us would say, yes, "Yes, absolutely. So what I want to do is I want to read this passage, and then I want to give you the reasons why Jesus is and should be the absolute authority in your life. Alright, so starting with verse 21 and going through verse 28, and we're gonna put it up there, it says, And then and they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Keep going. And immediately, that got really smaller. Uh, immediately, Immediately, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Verse 28, better font. (laughs) And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout the whole surrounding region of Galilee. Man, that's a powerful passage of Scripture. So, taking along his new followers, Jesus goes to Capernaum, all right? And now just to give you some background on this, Capernaum uh, is located on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, okay? I should have put a map up there, but I didn't, so anyway. But it's it's basically, it's a freshwater lake. It's about seven miles wide, about 13 miles long, uh, and and that's the Sea of Galilee, okay? Uh, The shore of Galilee, and and it's teeming with fish, okay? I mean, this is is a place to go fishing, if you want to go fishing, okay? Uh, And Capernaum, is a a significant port during Jesus' day uh, with a mixed population of uh, Jewish people, Gentiles, uh, Roman soldiers and officials all live there, and and it was well-situated for Jesus to employ as a base while he was traveling through uh, the region of Galilee uh, evangelizing, okay? And so... Here in this passage of Scripture, immediately upon his arrival, things kick into action. All right, He begins to teach the crowds, and they learn several things about this new teacher. And the point that I want to make here, where I'm going with this first one, is that his authority Is found in his teaching. All right? In other words, he teaches with authority. And so I want you guys to understand that today as we're traveling through the Gospel of Mark. Jesus speaks with authority, and because of that, he has given us the ability to be under his authority. All right? And that's where we should be. And so immediately upon his arrival, things start to kick in. He begins to teach the crowds, and they learn several things about him. The first thing that they learn about him, and we see in this passage in verse 21 and 22. Go ahead and put that up there. Verse 21 and 22 is that his teaching, it says, is astonishing. It astonished them, okay? Jesus begins to teach on the Sabbath, the Jewish day of worship that ran from, just so you know, it ran from sundown on Friday uh, to the same on Saturday. So uh, they began worship on uh, on Friday, and, and, and it went through Saturday. That was their Sabbath, okay? And so his setting is a Jewish synagogue, all right? Now, just to give you another little bit of information on that, a Jewish synagogue would be uh, somewhat uh, be somewhat similar to a local church. It'd be uh, not necessarily uh, a skating rink, but you know, uh, it would be uh, you know a local church like we have today. Uh, the synagogue was an assembly hall, basically uh, where the scripture is read and where the scripture is taught. All right. Now, there was only one temple, all right? So let's, let's not mistake the synagogue with the temple, okay? There's only one temple in Jerusalem, but uh, synagogues were basically uh, established wherever there were 10 or more Jewish males uh, 13 years of age or older. So, in other words, they would have a synagogue. If there were 10 or more Jewish men uh, 13 years of older. there'd be a synagogue there, okay? All right? And there might be multiple synagogues, okay? Uh, uh, all right. Uh, uh, but the Jew, Jewish people, they used these synagogues for worship. They used them for education. They used them for community gatherings, okay? Their, their, their use was of multiple sources it would be the place uh maybe that they would come to get food it would be a place where maybe the kids would come and be taken care of uh sound familiar sound interesting i mean let me just fill you in on something the synagogues were not just open on sunday mornings from 10 30 till noon all right the synagogue was a place of daily community. And it also happened to be the place where they would read the scripture and they would teach, okay? Now, the synagogues came into existence. These they were used for worship, like I said, education, community, and their origin can actually go back. The synagogues actually began to pop up somewhere around uh, the Babylonian exile, somewhere around maybe in, in the five eighties, uh, you know, five seventies BC. Okay, because when you go back into BC, you know the numbers go down. You know, I don't understand. And then in the AD it goes so so like. 580 to 570 BC. So, you see what I'm saying there? All right. No, you're like, some of you are like, yeah, no. no. Who cares? All right. It's a long time ago. All right. And so, Mark tells us what's interesting about this passage of scripture here Mark does not tell us anything about what Jesus is teaching this day. All right. I want you to pay attention to that. He doesn't tell us anything about what Jesus is teaching. The point that he wants to get across to those who are reading this, to us reading this today, he wants to make it clear that it's not about necessarily the content of Jesus' teaching, but the focus is on the one who's doing the teaching. His authority... And the astonishing response of the hearers, the listeners, they're amazed, they're alarmed. His teachings were disturbing in their very nature. You see, what we might say today, if I were to translate this into 21st century language, they were blown away by what was coming out of his mouth. That's what was happening here. So Jesus is teaching, and the folks that are listening to him teach, they are sitting there, and they are like, dude whoa this is so awesome wow i might be exaggerating a little bit but they were astonished It was the speaker. You see, Jesus was teaching with authority and the authority was coming across to them in such a way that they were blown away. They were astonished by what he was saying. Now the second thing that we see in this first section of this is not only were they astonished by his teaching, but his authority was overwhelming to them. The people, they immediately saw a contrast between the teachings of Jesus and the others that would normally teach there, okay? And the others that would normally teach there, they were called the scribes, okay? And the scribes, which is also uh, another phrase for the the teachers of the law, okay? These were skilled people these were, were skilled men in the exposition of the torah okay the torah the torah is the the torah okay whatever is the first five genesis exodus leviticus numbers deuteronomy say that again say that with me so cuz you got when's the last time you said those okay we said them in in in, in Sunday school didn't we all right all right so the torah torah torah, torah okay has kind of that feel to it, you know, all right, is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all right? So these scribes that normally would teach, they were skilled in the exposition. In other words, the breaking down uh, uh, of these passages of Scripture, the law of Moses, okay? And, And this much... Expected and celebrated group of scholars, you can trace their origin all the way back into the Old Testament to the book of Ezra. That's where we see the scribes starting to come around, okay? All right. Later, they get called rabbis. All right, and they could uh, render binding judgment on the interpretation of the law. So, uh, just I'm giving you a kind of an image of what these scribes are. Uh, they what they did is they combined the offices of Torah or Torah professor teacher, moralist, civil lawyer, all in that order. These guys, they all covered that kind of stuff. Their knowledge and their prestige reached legendary proportion by the first century, surpassing uh, on the occasions of the high priest. These guys were seen as being even more intelligent, even more authoritative uh, than the high priest. Uh, Many were Pharisees. Uh, though they were also Sadducees and priests among them also, okay? Uh, the Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish Supreme Court, which made up uh, was made up mostly of scribes, all right? Uh, so these are greatly respected men, the religious elite, all right? And, and it was an honor to sit under their instruction. However... What we find out is that they stood in opposition of Jesus, all right? Now it's interesting because Jesus is teaching in the synagogue and the people are astonished. The people see the authority in what Jesus is saying, yet, those who hold the positions of authority, those who are highly esteemed, are not impressed. Interesting? Everybody go, hmm. You see, what Jesus does here in this passage of Scripture and what He will do, He will not challenge the legitimacy of their office, but He will call them out on their legalism. He will call them out on their hypocrisy. He will call them out on their pride just to describe the scribes just to describe the scribes that was let me let me let me have you ever heard someone make the statement you know i'm too bad to be saved you ever heard somebody you ever, you ever heard somebody said if i step into the doors of a church it'll burn down you know i'm too bad to be saved let me tell you what the scribes the scribes Let me just give you just kind of a a nutshell understanding of the scribes. These guys thought they were so good they didn't need to be saved. So, here we have, this is a danger those raised in a highly religious context always face, all right? And I'm going to bring that out to us today. Mark, what he's doing is he is very careful to contrast the authority of Jesus with the scribes lack thereof, all right? You see, the scribes derived their authority uh, from the tradition of men by quoting the fathers of Judaism. They rested on the famous and and respected teachers who preceded them, uh, and this is not what Jesus came preaching this day. Like the prophets, his authority came directly from God the Father, and they're seeing this as he's talking. They're seeing this as he is proclaiming in the synagogue you see the words of jesus presented with a sovereign authority which permitted neither debate nor theoretical reflection they confronted the gathering with the absolute claim of god upon their whole person and so what i want us to grab a hold of today is that the one thing who the one who brings the teaching That astonishes and has authority in himself is Jesus Christ the Son of God he has the right not only to decide what is true but also to demand a decision from those who claim to follow him and so today as we read through this as we study this the point that I want to make first is that the reason why Jesus Christ should be Lord of our lives, the reason why he should have authority over our lives, is because what he says comes from the Father. And because it comes from the Father, it carries the authority of the Father. You see, Jesus is Lord not because he's the most popular. Jesus is Lord not because he is the most powerful. He is Lord because he is the authority and the word of the Father to those who follow. And we need to embrace that today. Amen? You see, Paul or Mark, he's not even into the second chapter of this book, and he wants everybody to know, listen, what I am proclaiming to you, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message that I am proclaiming to you, this is not something that is just a thought-provoking experience. This is not just something that, that I had this great idea about writing a great book for. This is from Jesus himself, who is the authority. And in you and I... As followers of Jesus Christ, those who proclaim to be followers of the way, those who proclaim to be disciples, we must find all authority in our Lord and Savior. Amen? And so his teaching, it declares that. Now that leads me to the second part of this passage of Scripture. Because you see, not only should we have authority in Jesus Christ because of his teaching... But the second part of this passage gets kind of interesting, all right? Because now we start to see not only Jesus teaching with authority, but we see power in his authority. So Mark chapter 1, verse 23 through 27, put that up there, okay? And immediately, it got small again. Immediately, there was in the synagogue a a man with an unclean spirit and he cried out what have you to do with us Jesus of Nazareth have you come to destroy us I know who you are the holy one but Jesus rebuked him saying be silent and come out of him and the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him and they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves what is this a New teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. I kicked off somebody's uh, Bible. And so it says there is a man with an unclean spirit. Now, the more usual term for unclean spirit when this is translated and you see it over 60 sometimes uh in the new testament is demon possession demon okay all right. Now, I'm just going to tell you right there now today, I am not going to go down the theological rabbit hole this morning on who or what this demon is, all right? There's all kinds of theology on 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 the demons and stuff like that. What I'm going to tell you right now is that this is a really bad dude. He is not of the Father, and he should not be there. Amen. All right. He is not of God. He is demon possessed man. And in all of the places, he's in the synagogue. All right. Now, that ought to say something to us, okay? I just want to make that observation real quick. If this demon made his way into the first century synagogue, we should not assume that our own churches are beyond their reach. Thus, the reason why we need to be bathed in prayer, we need to be in study of the Word, we need to be walking as disciples, because the enemy is looking every single day to penetrate the church and to destroy what is going on in the name of the Lord. And one of the biggest ways that the enemy destroys the church and has been destroying the church for the last centuries is through division. That's another sermon for another day, all right? So the first thing I want to point out here as we talk about the power of Jesus, all right, is number one in verse 23 and 24, I find it very, very interesting that the demon recognizes him, okay? Upon seeing Jesus, the demon cries out, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. So this demon, he recognizes Jesus in terms of his humanity and in terms of his deity. I want you to understand that. Listen, he says, number one, you're a Nazarene. That's his humanity. And number two, he says, you are the Holy One of God. Even the demons stand in awe of the God-man. Jesus Christ the demon is chiefly concerned with Jesus intentions duh you know us it says us in there okay it says have you come to destroy us now there's a lot of interpretation a lot of a lot of speculation on that us it may refer to multiple demons in the man or to uh, the demonic realm as a whole in either case This demon recognizes the threat that Jesus is to their authority and their power. He says, come to destroy. Have you come to destroy us? Now, that may be a declaration instead of a question, okay? Matter of fact, I think it was a declaration instead of a question because he knew Jesus was there to destroy him, amen? Amen? Demons understand more clearly than humans that the Son of God is coming, uh, God's coming is a decisive moment in history and it spells their their doom. The demons understand what Jesus coming as the Messiah means. Sometimes I think they understand more than we do. If we understood it better, I think our lives would be lived better. Amen? So, confessing Jesus as the Holy One, maybe it's an attempt to gain some power over Jesus by claiming to know His name. I don't know. I don't think so. More likely, however, what this demon is doing is he is, he is recognizing who Jesus is. He is understanding His deity. He is understanding His sonship. Uh, he is understanding the great antithesis uh, that exists between unholy, unclean spirits and the one holy God. You see, when Jesus steps in the room, that which is unholy has to leave. Amen? I feel like my grandfather for a second there. We see here in this passage the kingdom of God going head to head with the forces of evil at this first public ministry of the Son of God. It is not a contest. It is not an event where there is going to be a knockout. Jesus is victorious. The binding of the strong man, if you go forward to chapter 27, verse 27 of chapter 3, the binding of the strong man is beginning right Here, the demons are being forced to acknowledge grudgingly what the father declared back in verse 11 you remember when we said that and a voice came from heaven when jesus was being baptized and said you are my beloved son with whom i am well pleased you see, the demons knew who he was. Now, the next part of this that we need to pull out of this passage, and by the way, this series is kind of an exegetical series, so I'm just kind of preaching through the, the, the verses, so we've got to talk about them, you know. Yeah, we got, so we're in verse 27, so we've got to talk about this. It says in verse 25 through 28, it says, the demons not only knew who he was, but they obeyed him. Knowing that the demon recognized him, Jesus issues a direct command. What does he say? Be quiet. It's an imperative. It's an unqualified, re- qualified rebuke. He doesn't. He's. It's you know what he. It's almost like Jesus. You know what Jesus is saying to the demon right now? Shut up. My parents would never let me tell my brother shut up. I got in trouble. A lot of trouble. But Jesus, the demon opens his mouth, and Jesus says, Shut up! Muzzle it! Put a clamp on it! You have no authority here! You do not speak! Shut your mouth! And guess what the demon does? He shuts up. And then Jesus commands, he says, Come out! And this is what I find interesting. Now I'm not trying to get any. I'm not. You know, I, I, we've 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 heard about exorcisms, exorcisms, and stuff like that. Have you guys heard of them? Okay, I don't know if any of you have been involved in them or not, or anything like that. I, <laughs> but you know, we see them in the movies. We we read about them and stuff. What interests me the most about the exorcisms that I hear about and see in our modern culture is that they're so long and they're so drawn out and there's so much battle and there's so much you know you know um, that was a little over the top wasn't it a little bit Uh, I don't see that in scripture listen Jesus commands, come out. It only takes a few seconds and a few direct words from the absolute authority. There's no spell. There's no incantations necessary. He says the words, and they obey. All right? The demons immediately convulsed, cried out, and they came out just as Jesus said. And the people were amazed, all is emphatic in the Greek, it says all of them were amazed, and they asked, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And as a result, his fame spreads everywhere, not just around Galilee, but to surrounding regions. People were hearing the good news of the kingdom Everywhere. And so, not only do we see the authority of Jesus Christ in His teaching, but we see the authority of Jesus Christ in His power. He has power over even the demons. When He speaks, they shut up. When He calls them out, They come out. And then we get to verse 28. Put verse 28 up there real quick. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. You see, this morning, as we go through this passage of Scripture, the challenge for us is to place Jesus Christ as the authority in our life. And I, I, I pray and I hope that most of you have done that, okay? My desire is that everyone here has done that. Today we are going to celebrate uh, as a couple people get baptized because they're going to share publicly that they have placed Jesus Christ as the authority in their lives. But the reason the reason that Jesus is to be authority in our lives and what, what Mark is getting to us is that he deserves to be first place in your life because he, his teaching, everything about him brings about his authority and his power brings about his authority. You see, we serve a father Who not only his words proclaim, but his actions proclaim. In verse 28, the most important thing about verse 28 is the question that now you and I need to ask ourselves. Is number one, does our lives, period, reflect the authority of Jesus in them? That's number one. Does your life reflect that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords in your life? And then what we see in Matthew 28 is how that reflection should take place. What what happened after Jesus did what he did in the synagogue? What happened here? Did did they hush it? Huh? Huh? Did, no, did, did everybody go home and, and, and they were all silent about it? Did they, they all go home and sit down? Man, that Jesus, he was at the synagogue today, man. I saw him handle that demon. That was pretty powerful, man. His words, they were astonishing. I'm not going to tell anybody about this. Is that, what, is that what they did? No. It says, at once. At once. His fame spread everywhere throughout all of the surrounding region of Galilee. They modeled it and they spread it. You see what that is? That's what we teach about here at Lifebrook. When I talk to you about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You see a disciple of Jesus Christ is someone who lives their life according to the teachings of Jesus Christ. A disciple is someone who understands the power of Jesus Christ. But a disciple on top of that is someone who proclaims who Jesus Christ is. In other words, a disciple is someone who makes disciples that make disciples. And that's what we see happening here. You see, the the disturbance of men and the demons by the servant of God, by Jesus Christ, has begun here. Life is never going to be the same. Demons are expelled, and broken people are made whole. This is what Jesus is ushering in when he says, I am bringing about the kingdom of the Father. This is God's kingdom. This is what the great king can do. This is why he should have absolute authority in our lives in my life in your life in everyone's life because you see through Jesus Christ you and I are set free amen So, this morning, as the team comes up and closes us in a song, and as we wrap up in verse 28, I'm going to ask you one more time Who is the absolute authority in your life? If the answer is anything, or anyone other than Jesus Christ. You will continue down a path of darkness. You will continue down a path of destruction. And no matter how much you make, no matter how successful you become, no matter how many wonderful things you do, if Jesus Christ is not Lord of every single area of your life, he is not Lord at all in your life. He says 100% or not at all. Not one foot in, one foot out no two steps you don't want to see me do that more than that you're all in or you're all out and that's tough to proclaim in a world that says it's all about me I get to decide but I'm going to tell you right now this life is not eternity and Jesus the proclamation that he made in the synagogue that day was the beginning of the sacrifice that he would make so that you and I could be set free Amen. Let's all stand. Heavenly Father, this morning, we call upon you right now. And Lord, I proclaim you today as Lord and Savior. I proclaim you because of your word and because of your power as Lord of my life. And I ask that each and every day that the things that I do, the words that I say, the places that I go, the actions that I perform, Lord, I pray here today that they would be pleasing to you. And Lord, I ask that you would guide us. And Lord, you, I, I just, I know that you know that we are flawed people. I know that, and I know that you love us unconditionally, but Lord, the desire is for us to live under your authority and yours alone. I pray this in your most precious name, and everybody says, amen. Amen. Let's sing.